hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, I'm answering your questions about figuring out if you're bisexual and discuss why being married to a man doesn't make me formerly bisexual. I also talk about birth control options and share a listener's story about their experience with an IUD. Lastly, I share my interview with Taboo CEO and founder, Mia Davis. Mia and I talk about creating the sexual health content we wish was available when we were younger and unpacking sexual shame throughout our lives. But first, today in sex. Last week, I shared a post about me teaching a grade 7 class online. I shared a brief Instagram video of all of the different contraception options that I normally show to kids at this age. And somebody responded saying, if you're going to masturbate, I'd pay to see that. Yeah, it, it brings up some really interesting questions about as soon as we talk about sexual health, if you are someone who is open about the fact that this is your profession, then people assume that they can sexualize you constantly. Don't get me wrong, if people want to have OnlyFans account and things like that, that's amazing. Power to you. I'm so happy that folks are finding other ways to express themselves and to make money in a really uncertain time. However, just because I'm talking about condoms and IUDs and things that people should know when they're 12 or 13, they should know what options are available to them. But because I was sharing that online, this person decided they were like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, if you masturbate, I would definitely pay to see that. And it got me thinking too, like, what if I actually did film myself masturbating? I don't know how comfortable I would feel with that actually sharing that with anyone. Like, maybe my partner, but at the same time, I'm kind of hit and miss about creating sexual content online. On one hand, it can be super hot and empowering to send sexy photos and videos of ourselves to partners, people that we're sexually interested in, but at the same time, that can also be used against you, right? Depending on your career or what you want to have access to, especially as someone who's in academia, I'm like, I think having videos of me masturbating, even if it was through an OnlyFans account, I think I would just be, I don't know, I, I maybe I'm old fashioned, call me old fashioned because I just, I don't know if I would feel super comfortable having that out in the world. This is making me think that I should probably have someone on the show who has an OnlyFans account who can tell me about what it's like to have people pay them to watch them masturbate and do sexually explicit things online and to share that content. But to the person who said they would pay to watch me masturbate, um, sorry, that's a privilege that only my partner and I get to enjoy. And yeah, like when it comes to masturbation, it's all about my own pleasure. So I'm gonna keep it that way. And now let's get to your calls. Hi, Leah. After the last episode where Levi mentioned he tried to look at men in a sexual manner and it did nothing for him, it brought to my attention that it doing something for me may not be so hetero. I have more attraction for women, have always been with women, and thought that having a low-key attraction for men was normal for all hetero men. So my question is, am I bi since I have these attractions? Or does identifying as bi mean you have equal attraction for men and women? Thank you so much for sending in your question. And I am so happy to have this question asked, especially by a man. But th there are a few things I want to say right away in response. So being bisexual doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have equal sexual or romantic attraction to men, women, non-binary folks, trans folks, etc. 
a lot of the time people would think of it as you're bisexual, you have to be equally attracted to men and women. No, it can be much more expansive than that. You can be primarily attracted to women, say, and still have part of you that's sexually and or romantically attracted to men. Really, it comes down to finding language that works for you and your identity. And if bisexual feels right to you, then yeah, you're bi. I also know that sometimes folks who call themselves bisexuals, uh, they'll also say that they're heteroromantic, meaning that they are sexually attracted to multiple genders, but want to be in a romantic relationship with someone of the opposite sex or gender that they are. And some people are biromantic, meaning they're interested in being in relationships with people of different genders, but may only be sexually attracted to one gender. The folks who also call themselves pansexual, and a lot of time folks like that will say that they are attracted to people and not gender. For myself, that comes down to my own understanding of bisexuality. It's not necessarily I'm equally attracted to men and women. It's just that I'm interested and attracted to people. When it comes to our attraction, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason who we are attracted to. And that's something that's really beautiful and interesting. Another way that you could think about it is being bi-curious, meaning you're figuring out what sexual or romantic feelings you have for people. And that is so legitimate. Wondering about who you are or if you're questioning, that is something that is so healthy and normal. And I feel like as soon as we identify as something, we feel like we need to stick with that for the rest of our lives. But we know, research has shown us that sexuality is fluid. It can evolve throughout our lives. And especially for folks with vulvas as we age, it can actually change in response to life events and major things that happen. So absolutely, use a terminology that works for you. But I'm so happy that we got to have this conversation. And as you said, especially came up from my conversation with Levi on the last episode of the podcast. As Levi said, he wishes he felt sexually attracted to men, but that's just never really been the reality of it. And so as someone who can recognize that, oh, I do have that sexual, romantic, maybe both attraction to other people, then that's a really exciting thing. The other really interesting thing, and I talk about this in my Polyamory 101 episode with Cassandra Heap, is talking about how it's important to separate sexual orientation and relational orientation. These are different things from each other. So it's really up to you what works sexually, romantically, and what your experiences are in relationships. So it could be that you're heterosexual, but your relational orientation is polyamorous. Or you could be bisexual and your relational orientation is monogamous. There's lots of different ways to express ourselves. And the beauty of it is that hopefully we get to explore it for the rest of our lives. Thank you again. And also, yeah, bye guys. I Hopefully you feel like this is a space for you. And I feel like the world would be a better place if more men were open about the fact if they were bisexual. That would be kind of amazing. Okay, let's take another call. So this was a message I got on Instagram following the last episode. This person says, Hi Leah, I enjoy following you and Levi on social media, specifically your eco-living content. I have a question about the bisexuality thing though. My brain cannot rationalize your still being bisexual now that you are in a heterosexual marriage. By definition, that is, in quotation marks, till death do us part. So in what way are you still bisexual? Wouldn't you be formerly bisexual and now you are heterosexual? Honest question. I'm, I'm going to be honest. When I read it, I w felt a little offended because me sharing my experience, uh, I don't need to rationalize that to another person, right? But the other side of me 
I'm an educator, so it's important to have these conversations and I want people to feel safe to ask the questions that they don't feel like they can ask anywhere else. So putting aside my personal feelings, this is a really great question and definitely one that a lot of folks are thinking about and ask about. So sexual orientation is about identity and who we are attracted to, not about our relationship status. So for example, I would still be bisexual if I were single and the same applies for being married. So, okay, let's say if someone is heterosexual and then they aren't in a relationship for several years, that doesn't then make them asexual, meaning they have like no sexual attraction to other people. There's a whole spectrum of asexuality, but for the example, follow me here. So it just means that they aren't in a relationship in that moment. So even though I am in a relationship with a man, I'm still attracted to people of multiple genders. And it doesn't mean that I necessarily act on those attractions. You'd be hard pressed to find anyone who didn't admit to be attracted to other people at least sometimes while being married. It's a very natural and normal thing, but it does mean that my orientation is still bisexual. The other thing is that there shouldn't be a conflation that folks who are bisexual are polyamorous. But as you know, if you've listened to the last episode of the podcast, for Levi and I, we do practice ethical non-monogamy. It really comes up to how all of these things inform our identities. It is much more expansive than me being formally bisexual because I'm married to a man. Because of my relationship status, that does not define my sexual orientation. So again, like I said to the last caller about separating those things out, I really appreciate your question because that relationship status can really throw people. I've had people who are very close to me, family, friends saying, well, you're married now, so that doesn't make you bisexual anymore or it shouldn't matter. There's all sorts of embedded assumptions about who we are relationships with and also what marriage looks like. Absolutely, Levi and I have decided that we want to spend our lives together, but we also know that we're not going to rely entirely on each other for all of our emotional needs. I don't care if you're monogamous or polyamorous or like consensual non-monogamous, whichever, we all need multiple people in our lives to feed every aspect of who we are. So whether that comes to having sexual relationships with other people, which as I've said, sometimes we do, it doesn't come down to my marriage to a man makes me not bisexual. I really hope that answers your question. If it doesn't, or if folks have other questions, please call in, let me know, leave a voice memo and send it to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Now, the last thing that I want to address right now is a message that I got over Instagram. And it said, birth control is so bad, lol. The amounts of side effects are insane, which I've seen from friends as well. I hope it worked for you though. Well, I want you to know that my experience of having a hormonal IUD, that's just it. It's my experience. I do want you to know that yes, IUDs are the safest and most effective form of contraception that we have available, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be the best option for everyone. Unfortunately, yeah, contraception, all of them have some types of side effects. And unfortunately, that is still a part of what it means to be sexually active if we don't want to conceive. Later on in the episode, I talked to Taboo CEO and founder Mia Davis, and I just want to share a really excellent resource that's on the Taboo website. This is Taboo's birth control guide and quiz that can help you figure out what works best for you. Before we get into reviews and my interview with Mia Davis, I'm just going to share a recording from a listener talking about their own experience of having an IUD, just to demonstrate that 
all of these experiences, they're different from person to person. So really, if you're going to choose contraception or a different birth control option, this is a conversation that you need to have between yourself and a healthcare provider to decide what works best for you and your body. Let's take a listen. I wanted to share my IUD experience. I had a Mirena, which is a hormonal intrauterine device, for almost two years. I decided to get it placed because I was not very consistent at taking the birth control pill and also because I was graduating and was going to be off insurance soon. Although the actual insertion was quite painful for me, I did love that I had light and few periods and there was nothing I had to remember and the cost per month was much more reasonable than taking an oral contraceptive. So then one day after I had a week of quite a heavy period or what I thought it was, I had quite severe abdominal pain and almost fainted. My husband, who was then my boyfriend, took me to the emergency room and it turned out that I had an ectopic pregnancy or a non-viable pregnancy that was in my fallopian tube and that had caused my bleeding. I had to have emergency surgery that day and apparently had been bleeding internally for quite a few days. Fortunately for me, there was no lasting damage, but this could have been life-threatening or fertility-threatening, meaning I could have lost a fallopian tube if the pregnancy had ruptured. They could not do the surgery laparoscopically, so I have what kind of looks like a C-section scar and I had to take three weeks off work to recover. I would never tell anyone not to get an IUD, but I would want people to be aware that you still can get pregnant. It's tough when you don't get regular periods to be aware of your cycle. With an IUD, you can still ovulate or release an egg. If that egg gets fertilized, it is more likely that it would be ectopic or not make it down the fallopian tube and implant in the uterus like a typical pregnancy is meant to. At that stage of my life, I didn't really understand fertility that much. Now I know that for most people, there's only really five days in the monthly cycle that you're fertile. You can track these days with a period tracker app, although this is hard to do if you don't get a period with an IUD. I guess if I could go back, I would consider the use of backup protection, like a condom, on the days when I'm most fertile, or at least the not very effective pullout method. I do recommend reading Taking Charge of Your Fertility and learning a bit about the fertility awareness method. This isn't for everyone, of course, and it largely depends on what would happen in your life if you were to become pregnant, but I do think it's important to understand your body and cycle. I would also be aware that any heavier than average bleeding can actually be an ectopic pregnancy. After that happened, I just accepted that taking pregnancy tests would ease my mind for a fairly low cost and just started taking one every month or two. I did have the doctor who did my surgery offer to put another IUD in as he removed the old one during my procedure. It's possible something was off with the placement, and I do think my odds of another ectopic are technically higher on oral pill because more people do get pregnant overall on the pill than having an IUD. But I just felt that the IUD didn't work for me and my body for some reason, and I had my family doctor recommend that I try another method of birth control. Overall, again, I liked having the IUD and recommended it to many people and, and still do, but there are complications that can happen and I think people should be aware of them. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm, I'm so sorry that that is what happened. 
unfortunately, yeah, we we all have heard horror stories from friends who have had a bad insertion story or something like that has happened. As I said, this needs to be a conversation that we have with our healthcare providers, but what's going to work better? And we also, we need to advocate for better reproductive justice because these options are available to us. And some of them are really amazing. The IUD most of the time is a really fantastic tool that we have available, but we need to advocate for more research so we can have a better understanding of how these things work. Not just so they're like good enough. Right now, people are still going to use them even if they're not great because that's what we have available. So I'm going to share some resources talking about reproductive justice and things that we can do to help advocate for better contraception methods for all of us. And I'm going to briefly read a review from the last episode. Hey Leah, I spent the afternoon listening to your podcast on bisexuality, bi-wife energy, and how Levi feels about it all. Just wanted to say that I thought it was extremely well done. You answered several questions that friends and my own girlfriend have asked me since coming out as bisexual. I think it also helped dispel some myths about bisexuality. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, and I am so glad that you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, my interview with Levi is quite illuminating and we get into some really personal but thoughtful conversations about bisexuality and also ethical non-monogamy and what that looks like in terms of our relationship styles. And now I am so excited to share my interview with Mia Davis. Mia was a delight to interview and she truly is creating the sexual health content I wish was around when I was younger. So without further ado, here it is. Well, hi Mia, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I have, uh, I'm getting used to this like new little office space my partner and I share in our apartment, but I've like curated it. So you're only seeing like, you're not seeing the chaos below my desk. You're just... Oh, I was going to say, I need to like, I have yet to figure out a uh, good background. I just have clothes behind me. <laughs> it's always a struggle, but actually the way I'm sitting right now is I have my, like my degrees up on the wall, but I'm actually, why am I hiding it? I have a green and gold vulva and it has like a golden clitoris. My sister-in-law gave it to me. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Fantastic. That needs to be front and center. I know. I think I need to find a way, in, depending on who I'm meeting with, like how, yeah, yeah exactly. Like how, uh, how forward will I be about my vulva? Yeah, you can, you can move this way as you need to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So why don't you t tell me a little bit about yourself and why you started Talk Taboo? Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, so I'm Mia, Mia Davis. I'm the founder and CEO of Taboo and we have Talk Taboo, which is basically a content platform for all things sex, mental health and relationships. And recently we decided to launch another platform called Taboo Wellness, which is really focused on connecting experts. So whether that's therapists, coaches, educators with the people who are seeking their services and content. And basically we exist to help bridge the gap between the terrible sex ed that we get, the non-existent conversations that we have about mental health, how to talk about relationships, how to communicate and give people relatable information so they can really take control of their bodies and health and have more nurturing, fulfilling relationships. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like the sex education that so many of us receive or like lack thereof, right? There's a real gap in there. And so it's so nice that you know, there's not only a way to connect people with resources, because I feel like that's something my listeners ask about all the time is, okay, great. Now that I know that you exist, listen to this podcast, like, 
where do I go to learn more? And I think that's what I love about the website as well and following the Instagram account is that there's just always information and it's super accessible. So was that kind of the goal to kind of fill that niche of like, you know, a lot of us, if even if we are getting sex ed, it might be shame-based or if we're getting any at all. So was that kind of the hope with why you wanted to start uh, Taboo? Yeah, totally. So for me, I grew up in the conservative Midwest and went to a religious school for like 11 years. And so I had a very shame-based educational background and just, I guess, background in general, like a lot of it was shrouded in shame and my understanding of sexuality and my relationship with sex. And I realized as I got older, especially after having like traumatic experiences and just negative and bad experiences in general, that I was definitely not alone. And so many of my friends had also just had bad experiences or just had awkward moments and, you know, uncomfortable things that they were made to feel embarrassed or weird about when in reality, we all have awkward moments, you know, with sex, we've all, unfortunately, especially for women and people with vulvas have a lot of people have had, you know, less pleasurable or, or more traumatic experiences. And I just wanted to create a place that like my younger self would have been able to turn to as a resource, because at the time, which was probably five years ago, I would say that Yahoo Answers and Cosmo were the primary resources that people turn to. Now, I would say there are a lot more options um, and a lot better options. And maybe there were back then too, but I didn't necessarily know what they were. And so that's always been the goal is just like, there are a lot of great resources out there so we can help point you in the right direction. And then we also want to be a trusted curated resource based on whatever your needs are. So yeah, it definitely came from my personal experiences and lack of information and also just discomfort around sex in general. And like you said, not really knowing where to go to find that reliable information because there's there's so much online now and you know even like when I was growing up very similar like I didn't know who to turn to and what was reliable you know so you end up getting information from your peers and quite often not actually correct or we've all had really you know uh sometimes traumatic experiences sometimes shameful experiences it's really sad that that's kind of the narrative that we have around sexual health so yeah having a resource that you know you can trust and you know that it has like uh, that it's really inclusive as well like I think you know even in in and always the way that the folks who my listeners who say that you know sometimes I'll talk about women but quite often I'll say folks with vulvas or folks with uteruses and you just like beautifully demonstrated that as well if that's that's the way of making sure that everyone is feeling seen and feeling heard in this space. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about about shame as well and some of my own work has kind of looked at shame and how that's really basically we spend like the when we get out of like high school or wherever where we had our first sex ed lessons we basically spend like all of our 20s and for a lot of us a lot of our lives like unpacking all of this shame like on the talk taboo instagram account you know they have like that great description of like shame we don't know her and then like the hair toss emoji but uh and, and you even get into it in like the first episode of the new podcast as well so why why do you think we still have so much shame around sex today? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, unfortunately, actually, we do know her quite well, right? Like we're all very familiar with shame, but of course we want to eradicate that shame. But I think a lot of it comes from just how we learn about sex originally or don't learn. And if you're learning in school, a lot of teachers aren't necessarily set up to properly teach about sex ed. So they're coming to it with their own shame and their own 
experiences and their own discomfort. So even if you are getting sex ed, which many people aren't in the first place, if you're getting sex ed and you're learning it in a way that's like reinforcing stereotypes or reinforcing the idea that you should feel shameful about whatever it is, then that's just going to be what you inherit. And I think even with parents, you know, a lot of parents want to shy away from the quote unquote talk, which should be like a series of conversations or ongoing conversation, not just like one talk. But if you are having one talk, then they're coming to it with this like awkwardness and discomfort or like don't have sex so you're married or like stereotypically like dad's threatening the boyfriend or you know what I mean so there's like a lot there's a lot of negativity involved in conversations I think about sex as you grow up and then what you see on tv is either sort of like scandalous um and even that in a way can even that involves like slut shaming and so that's like a source of shame so I think it's just not necessarily having positive empowering messages about sex and then hopefully starting to hope like carve that out for yourself but I think it can be hard and I'm hoping again like now I think there are a lot more modern tv shows and hopefully better conversations and more resources for parents to learn how to talk to their kids and sex educators in schools but for the most part it's still pretty bad (laughs) it's pretty dismal and especially if you have a religious background I think there's just so much negativity involved in conversations about sex. If those conversations exist at all, it's very much about purity based and kind of shaming you for even having sexual desires and then outside of marriage. And then within marriage, even I think there's shame placed on people for not having enough sex or having to, you know, like there's just, there's always a negative spin on whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. You know, there's there's a few things I kind of want to pick up on what you've said there. Like I, I I think especially for like parents and then for teachers, I think they're just so afraid to get it wrong and to say the wrong thing. And so it's not even necessarily that, you know, they it, it's, it's what they don't say that's almost as impactful as what they do say. Right. And so trying to get at like, okay, like what are they not saying about this experience or they're really uncomfortable about this. So now I'm just going to internalize all of their discomfort. So when I get to my own sexual experiences, all I've been taught is silence and that this should be kind of an awkward situation. I should want it. I don't know why, but I shouldn't be, I don't know how to talk about it. And, and it's, and it's interesting too, like, I think you're right in terms of that idea around purity and, and, and again, multiple different religions have different ways of, of talking about sexuality. But I think like a lot of the time in kind of like Christian ideology, and I've had folks talk about this before on the show of just how how hard it is to go from don't talk about sex, don't have sex, get married, and then you should have a super fulfilling sex life. You should be having lots of sex and have lots of babies and like you should be totally happy with that even though you've never learned how to talk about that. And you were made to feel weird about it your entire life. So it's like, how are you supposed to every time you had a sexual urge or desire or interest and then that is completely suppressed your entire life because you're told you shouldn't be feeling this way you shouldn't be doing this until you're married but then magically taught to like stuff that down now you're just supposed to embrace it fully and under you know and like you're then constantly battling against the shame that you've built up for all of these years you don't even know necessarily how to feel and I think what you said with um, the silencing and like the conversations that aren't happening is really interesting because it kind of goes back to what you were saying about people spending their whole lives unpacking shame. 
hopefully, because I think if they're not doing that, um, yeah, they're bringing those insecurities or just discomforts to the conversation and perpetuating that even further. And also, I mean, some of it comes from a good place. Like you want to keep your kids safe. You want to, like you said, you don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think just honesty goes such a long way and just being super candid instead of pretending that you were never, you know, young and wanted to do things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Or even just being able to, I guess, sit in that discomfort of like not knowing as well. Cause there's definitely a few people who are like, oh my gosh, like uh, I caught my kid masturbating or they have questions about kinks and just not even knowing where to start. Cause they're like, oh my goodness. Like how, how do I talk to you without imparting my my shame especially nowadays when there's some I think there's so much evolution around just like the terms that we use for things sexuality in general and just like just yeah I feel like it's like trying to stay modern and trying to stay like woke I guess and I think that can be challenging even you know for millennials yeah (laughs) Much yeah, definitely. Non-millennials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much less like my parents' generation. Like to this day, my mom's like, oh, you just, you talk about sex so comfortably. I'm like, well, A, it took a long time to yeah, get here. Too. I'll talk about like, yeah, like that unpacking. So one of the things that I'm really appreciating about Taboo, but then also even like like listening to the first episode of the podcast and, and unpacking all that shame is that there seems to be a bit of a disconnect in like how much shame people experience, especially based around bodies. So like typically like women or folks with vulvas experience a lot of shame, as you're saying before about like slut shaming and things like that. So to me, and totally correct me if I'm wrong, but when I'm like looking at the resources, it just feels like a very like feminist approach of being like, how do we make sure that it's pleasure centered and that we're, that we're holding it as like an equal space. Like, you know, it's not because so much of the sex that we'll see in the media is so like penis centric and how do we change that conversation? So I don't know, what, what are your thoughts about that and what you're trying to like share on the platforms that you use? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think from day one, I always wanted to make sure that the content was inclusive, but it was also coming from my experiences and like my lens. So I do think that that has been great in some ways because it's hopefully relatable But in other ways, I do think there's a lot of areas for opportunity in terms of like who we can provide information for. And I would say it's pretty like feminine, I guess, in a way, like I would say it is focused on pleasure for women and people with vulvas. Definitely. We actually just did an episode of the podcast all about penises and like talking about, you know, health and pleasure and the insecurities. And even, you know, with like, trans people I think there's so much opportunity for more resources because there's just a lot of communities that are being super underserved and I think that especially being like a small team and being like the leader of that I'm I try to like seek out and like working with different types of people and getting you know different perspectives but I do think it ends up probably focusing a lot on like content I would be interested in or that I have been interested in and even for the podcast it's like asking for myself it's a lot of the questions that I've had or the things that I've dealt with and the questions that we've gotten from our community but definitely although interestingly enough our community online 
uh, like on our website has always been like Google Analytics anyway, which doesn't track for non-binary, but it's always been 50-50 male-female split. So I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if that's like men who are finding content on the site that actually resonates with them or if they're finding it, if they're like heterosexual, if they're finding it for their partners or like how it can you know benefit their relationship. But in that sense, I've always been really happy about that um, in trying to create content that resonates with a lot of different people. But I also think it's really important to your earlier point, just about like shame is that I think everyone needs to be involved in conversations that advance women. I think any marginalized community, you can't just have, unfortunately, like society doesn't move forward when it's only the people who are marginalized who are speaking up. So you have to kind of have the involvement and amplifying by the majority. So I do think everyone needs to be involved, but at the same time, historically, women have just been silenced and female pleasure has been deprioritized. So I do think it's really important to bring the, like kind of prioritize that and bring those conversations to the forefront and have other conversations as well. But I think that's where a lot of the unlearning needs to happen and where a lot of the um, support needs to happen does need to be for female pleasure. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's, you know, it must, it's great too to know about kind of the analytics, the fact that, again, like you said, it doesn't track in terms of like transgender or non-binary folks, but to have that 50-50 split, I mean, that's really helpful because I feel like a group of, of women and folks with vulvas, we can spend a lot of time talking to each other about female pleasure is so important. But then if we have, you know, male partners or partners with penises or like the wider society, which is mainly dominated by white men, then it's like, okay, well, how are we speaking to those in power? So it's so nice to know that there's a, a bit of a, there's an even split there of being like, okay, good, we're reaching people who wouldn't normally have this maybe on their radar. That's such a powerful resource. And I think especially, you know, in the world, in the world that we're living today, where so many of us are spending so much time online and we're so hopefully I'm saying this really hopefully that people are like aware of equity and diversity in their work so like that you'll be applauded for that that people are like coming to the content because clearly lots of different people are seeing themselves reflected in what's being shared yeah and I think yeah it's like we want to empower the disempowered but we also need the people in power to be pulled in and be like, oh, okay, you know, it's, it's one thing for you to feel like, okay, I can go into a sexual experience and I can advocate for my pleasure and I can pleasure myself and I can do all these things. But when your partner is kind of not anywhere near on the same page, that can be a little challenging. So it's like, Hey, can you read this article? <laughs> like, or, or I know that we've had people who are like, Oh, like even with the podcast who have said, you know, they listen to it. Um, with their partner or, um, you know, like brought the conversations that we have either on Instagram or on the website to like in their relationship. And I think that's always really awesome to see because I think sometimes you do just need a little bit of something to kind of give you a little bit more comfort and confidence, but then, you know, we can't just leave out the people who have historically been, um, we can't leave out, you know, the white men, basically. <laughs> we, need to, we need them to be educated and also to unlearn their own things. Yeah, absolutely. To, to unlearn their own shame and to also like unlearn shaming other people for their sexual expressions, right? Because when it's 
those voices that are the loudest making the most noise that that you know it gets drowned out so all of these really important like grassroots resources are kind of being overshadowed by these these shaming voices or the rhetoric that we're hearing from you know from different organizations or people or whichever so yeah it's really important that 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 that's happening what i wanted to pick up on too was as you were saying you know you could use an article or you know an instagram post or something like that to start a conversation with a partner and it's so true though right like it's it's hard if you're just sitting on the couch with someone to be like hey let's talk about our sex lives or when i masturbate i enjoy this let's try that together but actually having something where it's like hey i just watched this interesting tiktok or hey have you um seen this this cool article that i just read what a nice way to start the conversation without feeling like you're putting pressure on anyone you're not blaming anyone it's just being like isn't this an interesting conversation and then it's like this is so interesting this like specific like maneuver of like oh the clitoris can be touched in this way wow i i didn't know that hmm and i feel like with this especially with sex content it's so you know i think because of a lot of a lot of us have been conditioned to be uncomfortable it can be kind of funny to send or like oh my gosh i can't believe this but then that's a way to open the conversation right because you can send it in a way that's just super casual. You don't even have to say anything. And then later you can be like, oh, did you watch that video I sent you? Like, oh, wasn't. And then it can start a conversation where you're not necessarily bringing it to them in some serious way, but you're just like, oh my gosh, that look, or like, oh, that looks like fun. Or, you know, it can just be super, send it with a cute, funny wink emoji. And I think that can actually be a totally playful place to start a conversation. Yeah, it doesn't have to start from um, being a place of really quite like serious. It can it can be playful. It can be fun. And I think it's trying to incorporate that communication about sex can be a part of having sex in itself. Like the lead up of being like, oh, I'm really excited for us to try this together. Or I've never tried this. Or, what do you think about this? Like that can be really like hot and really empowering, like leading into sexual experiences during, afterwards, like all sorts of things. So just trying to to help people communicate throughout that experience, I think is such a such a huge way to start that. And, you know, I was I was just looking through the talk taboo like Instagram stories, like before we got onto here, and there was a really interesting post that was shared on there about how like sex educators and researchers and folks like that say that you shouldn't be having sex if you can't even talk about it. And I've definitely heard sex educators say it. I mean, I know I've even said it, especially if what if I'm talking to you know, people who are like 12 or 13 and they're kind of first figuring out what's happening in their bodies. But there was a really great kind of opposition to that of being like, you know, can we learn to talk about sex while we are already sexually active? And just kind of to get like your thoughts on that. Like what's what's your stance on the you shouldn't be having sex if you can't even talk about it kind of debate? Yeah, totally. So I think that post was from Erica Smith, who does a lot of purity culture. She has like purity culture dropout programs it's really about re rethinking the way that we unlearning all the shame right and rethinking the way we think about sex and I thought that was an awesome post because I definitely have also said that and it's kind of strange that I've said that because it's totally hypocritical in that obviously I started (laughs) having sex long before I was comfortable talking about sex and I think it's taken such a long time to become this comfortable obviously this has become my profession and I do it on a regular basis to the point that it's just kind of 
nothing. But when it's, even when I started taboo, you know, it was so uncomfortable to tell people what I was working on. It was so uncomfortable to talk to my family about what I was doing. I felt so nervous because it was basically proclaiming to the world that I'm sexually active or that's how I felt. And then I felt like that was, you know, embarrassing or could be having people sexualize me in a weird way. So I didn't, I was uncomfortable for sure. And that, I mean, and there is, you know, an aspect of that, that's like business and pleasure, but, but even in my own life, and even now I would say like talking about things on a podcast or on a panel, or just for, you know, coming up with content is different than your actual personal life, because there's more stakes and you're, you know, you've got another human being and you've got your own insecurities and your own, you know, their insecurities. And so those conversations are different, but I think, I think the sentiment behind it is important and that if you can't speak up and you feel really uncomfortable with like, like, let's say you weren't having a good experience and you wanted things to end and you, you feel like you can't say anything, not necessarily because the other person's pressuring you, but because you just have your own internalized pressure or you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know how to communicate with your partner at all. I do think that for your own benefit, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to be having those experiences because they're probably not always great, right? Like it's important to be able to communicate your, your needs and you know, what feels good. But, but I just feel like coming to a place where you're super comfortable talking about sex does take a long time. And so, and, and also it takes a lot of practice. It just takes a lot of getting comfortable and with every different person, it's going to be a different experience based on where they're coming from too. So I don't know. It's a long-winded way of saying, I think, I think you just need to be hopefully able to sort of advocate for yourself. I think that's a really big win. And that's really hard too, even in life. I mean, I still struggle with just in business and in relationships, just setting boundaries or, you know, saying no to people, but I think all of it takes practice. So yeah, no, I, I, I don't think you have to be able to be super comfortable talking about sex to be having sex. But I do think that if you want to have better sex, you, the actually, and this is true. I think studies have shown this as well, where the more you talk about sex, the more comfortably you talk about sex. Even one, I think it was like, if you can say the word clitoris and you can talk about things, you're going to be having better sex, which makes sense. Cause the more you can communicate and the more you're just like not embarrassed, not in your head the entire time, you're going to be just having a better, more pleasurable experience, if that answers the question <laughs> in a roundabout way. Yeah, no, you know, I, I love too that you really, it touches on like empowerment, right? It's it's talking about how, you know, when we're talking about consent and setting boundaries, the more comfortable we are talking about sex, right? Or even just like naming body parts and not having like a little chuckle about it that even in itself is like, okay, we know that in terms of with kids, if they know the actual like anatomical names of their genitals, they are safer. Like they're safer if someone were to inappropriately touch them or things like that, they can actually tell trusted adult what happened. And I think that happens like throughout our lives. So it's not necessarily saying that we need to, uh, we need to know all about all about sex, all of the things we ever want to say before we ever have sex, because hopefully it's a lifelong journey. So we're going to learn new ways to communicate and new ways that are pleasurable or exciting for us. But at least having some sort of groundwork about, I really enjoyed this or mm, this has crossed a boundary or can we slow down just to having even some key 
phrases or language to make those experience better. Because I think you're so right. Like my first sexual experiences, A, were not great. And B, I had was so uncomfortable talking about sex, but I was like, oh, but I have a boyfriend and this is what I should be doing, right? Right. Oh, and it's just, I wish I could go back to, you know, 16-year-old me and be like, actually, you don't have to. Maybe masturbate first and know what feels good before you're like, am I broken? Can I not orgasm? Oh, I'm like, oh, how often that comes up in conversations too of like, I can't orgasm from penis and vagina sex. It's like, yeah, that's that's a lot of people. So. Yeah, it's most people. It's And I think the other thing of that is like, yeah, not even just definitely communicating pleasure and like what feels good. And that can be And that is a lifelong journey because, yeah, there are going to be things also that come up that you never even thought of, or maybe as your body changes, there might be things that used to feel great and now they don't feel good anymore. But I think even, yeah, especially with teenagers, having conversations about birth control or using condoms and stuff like that, I think is so important too, because that's just, that's just general, like baseline health and safety. And I think if you're not able to have those conversations, it's just setting you up to be in potentially you know, yeah, unsafe situation. So I think the more, like you said, you can empower yourself to just be able to navigate those kind of baseline conversations, the better set up you'll be to just have better experiences all around. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so now speaking about like better experiences, we've we've talked about like unpacking shame and how like, unfortunately, that is like a lifelong journey. I mean, if folks embark on it, which we hope you're here listening to this. So hopefully we're all on that journey together. But I also just want to talk about joy and about pleasure because I feel like that is the like the opposite of shame, right? It's just shedding that off and like fully embracing like the pleasure that we can feel. So can you tell me about something joyous that's going on for you right now? And totally it could be like a professional joyous thing it could be a personal thing no pressure whatsoever to share a personal anecdote though but something joyous for you right now yeah definitely I love that question I think the first thing that came to mind was definitely this new launch that we have coming up I'm really excited about it not only with taboo wellness not only because it kind of solved the initial problem I set out to solve which was like how do we connect the people who have the information with the people who need the information in a way that's accessible? Because I think a big thing with that, like we started focused mostly on sex therapy and it can be really inaccessible and super unaffordable for people. And also it's not necessarily like if you don't live in a big city, you might not be able to find somebody. So kind of just making the world smaller in that way and just like giving you access to people who may have felt otherwise inaccessible. And also for me, it's gotten me back to my roots, which is in product design. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's been really fun because for the past few years, I've been focused really on content development and building out a content platform. Whereas now I get to kind of go back to what I'm good at, I would say, which is, which is product design. So I've been like, cause we're starting to build something from scratch. So that's been really, really fun for me and makes me feel, I think, super fulfilled in that I feel like I'm doing something that I know how to do. I mean, obviously like starting a business is every, you don't know how to do anything because you've never done it before, but this aspect of it, I am confident in. So it feels really good. And that is a lot of fun for me on a personal level and then other joyful and joyous things I would say is this um cookie that I really like and I just <laughs> got it the other day I still have another half of it left which is shocking because usually I eat the entire thing in one sitting 
but somehow it's lasted like two days. So, which is weird because it never does, but, um, but I'm excited because I can still enjoy it after, <laughs> after the podcast. Right. It's those like simple life pleasures. Right. But, and, and I, I actually really love what you said about, you know, making the world a little bit smaller of actually saying, you know, between it almost in two ways, making the world a little like smaller and simpler being like, I'm going to enjoy my cookie after this. And it's like, yeah, enjoy something like that because there's so much chaos and, and, you know, injustices that are happening in the world. And for us to keep picking ourselves up and doing work that will hopefully make the world a better place, you need to sit down and eat a damn cookie every now and then to be like, okay, now I can, now I can keep, like it will literally fuel me. Especially difficult, I think in this field, I was actually learning about this recently, which is like compassion fatigue. And I think people who are especially drawn to more social good or to, you know, like mental health or healing work tend to be, you know, just pretty compassionate or empathetic. And I think especially with, like you said, all of the injustices and sadness in the world, it can be really difficult when your entire profession and passion stems from trying to make the world a better place. And then you see all of the harmful things happening in the world, which is motivational, but also pretty disheartening at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I actually hadn't thought of it in that way, but it is so true though, in terms of like folks who work in addressing sexual health and addressing mental health, a lot of the time it's in response to an issue that we see in the world. So it's a very like issue-based thing. Keep coming back to lack of information, lack of resources. But like you said, that joyous thing of having taboo wellness, like now out in the world and having people access the resources, like that is like a, a, a bright light of something that people can can feel really excited about. I hope you feel excited about it. I do. I definitely, I feel like from my, yeah, my mission standpoint, I'm like, I'm so excited. And then there's also the whole, like, there's so much that needs to be get done. <laughs> there's so much to do. <laughs> How to do it all. So that's the one. Yeah. But that's, that's life. It's work-life balance, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do. It's also hard to do when, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's the same sort of thing. Like when your work is like also the thing that you're so passionate yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so hard to escape it every now and then. Yeah. And then I also feel like, especially with the topic being like sex, relationships, mental health, it's like the experiences you're having in your own life. So they're both ongoing, right? So it's like every day, day in and day out, this has just become the content I'm consuming, what I'm learning, what I'm you know, trying to educate others about what I'm, the conversations are daily. And so that's all you're thinking about. And I think that can seep into, at least for me, it can seep into like my personal life in a, in a great way, but then also sometimes in a, like, you can't shut off real life experiences <laughs> that are also somehow related to work, even though they're not related to work when it is not work, but they still are. Cause you're still like, you've got that hat on of like, oh, I should talk about this or like, oh, I'm having this experience. And this is, I wonder if other people have experienced this. So we should talk about this on the podcast, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Where, you know, anytime I'm like talking to friends or family or even my partner, it's like, oh, is that something I could like add into a lesson plan? Or that would be great for the podcast actually. Or this is information that you clearly should know about. Right. <laughs> like how do I end up spending so much time talking about genitals in my regular life? Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it just becomes it's it's like an occupational hazard, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for for better and for worse, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna ask you one more thing before before we go, and this is a tough question. I I ask it of folks, knowing that obviously you can't condense your expertise and your experience into like one piece of advice. But if you were to leave people with one bit of advice, you know what what would that be? I would say, ooh, well, I was gonna say one thing, but then I think that's that's maybe hard. I was going to say try to identify like one small area of your life, like really small, not like, you know, bigger, like try to distill it to the smallest thing possible. Like even being unsatisfied with work, like even smaller, like what aspect of work I'm really tired of having all these meetings. I'm really tired of this one thing, whatever, just as small as you can get it. And just try to focus on like doing one thing every day that can improve it. So, and I think whether that's with the relationship or with your sex life or with just work, like I said, I would say that starting with something really small that feels like you can tackle it each and every day to just get a little bit closer, I think is how to start uh, doing that in bigger ways in your life is just starting with one little thing that maybe is bothering you. And because I think at least for me, that's like even starting taboo. It's like, okay, start with this one small issue or like what was it small, but like distill it to the one small thing you can do. And then just kind of chip at it every day until you start blossoming and start applying that to other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like that. I'm not sure if it's like a phrase or a proverb about like, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. Right. And that's the the whole thing is it can feel so overwhelming and you don't even know where to start, but that's so great. Just being like, start on that small thing because that's something that you can feel you have agency over that you're doing something right some action and not worrying about taking on the whole thing in in that one action just saying start with this one thing and build that's great i need to take that advice actually i you know what i need to take it too that's why i said (laughs) what's something i would give myself advice about right now yeah absolutely well thank you so much mia is there anything you want to like share before we head off and i'll make sure that all of the links to Talk Taboo and on Instagram and Taboo Wellness and about the podcast as well. All of that is going to be linked in the episode description. And I just really want folks to go see the resources that are out there that you are putting out. And I am just so thankful that it exists, that that you are here to make it all happen. Like, I'm just I'm so grateful for that. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on the podcast. I would say head to any of those. And especially if you are a professional, like a sexuality professional or mental health professional, uh, check out Taboo Wellness because we want to get as many professionals on board so they can start creating content and connecting with awesome people that really could benefit and already are benefiting from the amazing work that people are doing out there. So connect. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. On the next episode, I'm interviewing Oh Yes Tess about creating viral TikTok videos about sexual health and how social media, it's basically the future of sex ed. As always, if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com or send me a voice message right on Instagram at dr.leahtidy. I really, I want to hear your questions and your voice on the podcast, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. And even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, 
leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual. 